seeing many of you. We recently got back from a spring break trip. We went up to Zion National Park, and it was beautiful up there. We even had a chance to take the kids for the first time horseback riding. Got a picture of it right here. Here's my younger son, Micah, and that majestic steed that he's riding upon right there, that there is Tex, forging the mighty Virgin River. It's a problem with Tex, though. Because as Tex was traveling down the trail, he just liked to stop and grab a bite to eat. He'd just wander off and eat some grass whenever it was that he felt like it. And they tell you if this happens, you're supposed to kick the horse with your legs to get him going again. I don't know if you can tell from that picture, but that's about as wide as my kid's legs go. There's no kick in the horse. And he's still like, I don't even think Tex knew he was back there half the time. So you probably can't tell, but right in his right hand, he has a little whip. And said, well, you can't kick him, so whip the horse. Well, we had just started the trip. Tex stops for a bite. I say, son, hit him with the whip. He lifts it up, whip goes flying off. This is about a minute into our trip. Now, Tex is about third in the line of 20 horses. So he'd stop for a bite, and my son wouldn't be able to get him going again. We're all yelling at him, come on, Tex, giddy up. And horses start to back up behind Tex. We got a horse back up here. Finally, he looks up. He sees his way behind, so he runs to catch up. And so all 17 of us behind us, they all run to catch up. Now, I hadn't been horseback riding for a while. I'll tell you this. Walking through the canyon, sun on my shoulders, cliffs on either side. It was beautiful. It was pretty. It was peaceful. It was nice. Sitting on the back of a galloping horse, bouncing along as we're trying to catch up, I'm sorry, horse lovers, that was not a pleasant experience. And I had to profoundly apologize to the 17 people behind us because this happened all horse ride long. My poor son, I don't know what he was expecting, probably a casual horse ride, a horse strolling along the way it's supposed to go. What he wasn't expecting was Tex, repeatedly trying to take him off course often trying to take him away from where he was supposed to be going. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, the Christian life is much the same way. We often think we're just going to merrily go our own way. And you think about this whole discussion we've been having the last few weeks in Thrive in Ephesians chapter 5. We've been talking about husbands sacrificially leading their wives. We've been talking about wives submitting to their husbands, parenting respectful kids, obeying authority at work. And you, sound, you hear it enough, it almost, it almost sounds easy to attain. But Paul is going to bring us back down to earth in our passage tonight Because like my son on the horse, we also have someone who's constantly trying to take us off course. We've got an adversary. We have got a spiritual enemy whose main goal is to keep us from going the way that we're supposed to go. Keep us from making good and godly decisions. If you want to be successful living for God in this life, you got to be aware that you have this adversary, that you have this enemy. You need to know that it's going to be a battle. Oh, it's not a battle against flesh and blood. No, this is a spiritual battle against spiritual enemies. And you have got to learn to rely on God to give you strength to persevere through this battle. So with that as background, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to the passage tonight in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and we're going to pick it up in verses 10 through 13. 
And as we often do when we have worship, we have a little bit of a shorter lesson tonight. We want to make sure that you have plenty of time to get into your small groups to discuss this important topic. But you're going to see just in these short few little verses that you are, in fact, deeply involved in this spiritual battle. You may not see it. You may not even be thinking about it. But it's there, and it's going to impact you every single day of your life. So let's pick it up in Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, that you may be able to stand firm. And as you're going to see, as you can see, through this whole passage, there is a battle going on. There's a battle that we're involved in, and as verse 12 says, we need to wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and so forth. We need to wrestle. Wrestle, emphasizing this notion of this close, difficult, hand-to-hand combat. It's tiring, but it's a battle and it's a wrestle that's not against flesh and blood, but against, as the verse says, spiritual forces of evil. So in this battle, it's important that you know who it is that you are really fighting. Or as I put on your outline, point number one, you need to know your enemy. Got to know your enemy. You want to be successful in fighting this battle, you got to make sure you're fighting the right enemy. Because at its core, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against scientists out there trying to undermine belief in creation. Our struggle is not against activists out there promoting gay marriage or abortion. And our struggle is not even against our friend or our family member that is rude to us and that ridicules our beliefs. Because if you think that way, you're going to develop strategies to fight those people. And you're not going to be successful because those people are not the source of the attack. The ultimate source of the attack is Satan. You are involved in a spiritual battle. And your chief enemy is the devil, is Satan, the ultimate evil. But unlike God, Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He doesn't see everything. He doesn't know everything. So he's got a whole army of helpers alongside of him. That's why you have in verse 12 all these lists of authorities and rulers and cosmic powers and so forth. He's got an army of demonic creatures of varying ranks and authorities, and they are out there every day fighting against God. And they're fighting against his angels, and they are fighting against you. Well, what do we know about them? Well, we know a couple of things. First, we know that they are powerful. We know they're powerful because verse 12 says things like rulers and authorities. Those are terms of power. There are powerful forces at work. Verse 12 goes on to say cosmic powers, a term used only here in all the New Testament, but highlighting and magnifying their power and their strength. That's why John can say, I put the verse on the screen, 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world. For now, we are living behind enemy lines, fighting a very powerful enemy. But he's not just powerful, he's evil. 
and they are evil. So I verse 12, when he talked about the cosmic powers, over what? Over this present darkness. You see, darkness is their natural habitat because they're completely evil. They don't have moral principles. They don't have a code of honor. They have no compassion. They are pure evil. Don't be confused by our society today. We got TV shows, we got movies out there glorifying Satan or portraying him as just a normal guy. That is not who he is. Don't be fooled. He is wicked and he is evil. You got any doubt? Verse 12 hits it again against the spiritual forces of what? Of evil. There it is again. They're evil. And third, they are cunning. They are shrewd and they are crafty and they are always at work. Go up one line from verse 12. Look at the end of verse 11. How does it, how does it end? That we may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's always got schemes. He's always got something at work to obstruct the work of God. Your enemy out there, he's powerful. He's evil. He's crafty. And he's got an army going to work each day. And their goal is to get you off track from following God. Think about it. Every day, you're going to face attacks from a very powerful enemy. Yet when was the last time you even thought about it? When was the last time you talked to somebody about Satan, about demons? When was the last time you asked for prayer and said, man, Satan, his demons, he's really attacking me right now. I could really use your help so I can stand against the devil, so I can stand against his demons. That sounds weird. Satan? Demons? I don't want to think about it. Half the time the world's convinced he doesn't even exist. And you know what? Satan achieves his greatest victories when we're not thinking about them. Because if you don't think about your enemy, if you don't know your enemy, you're going to underestimate him. You're going to go into the battle unarmed and you're going to suffer defeat. I thought about this because I thought back a few years ago, I went backpacking in Yosemite National Park. And uh, this is before they made you put your food in the bear canisters. And we used to do it the old school way. We just hang our food in the tree at night so the bears don't eat it. And after a long day of hiking, we had done this. We had hung our food up in the tree. We're sitting down, and this bear literally walked right into our campsite. And we're like, whoa, it's a bear. We all jumped back. And now he's trying to get our food. So we start like, banging pots and pans, and we're throwing rocks near him to try to scare the bear away. And I don't know if throwing rocks near a bear is a good strategy or not, but <laughs> what's not a good strategy is to throw rocks directly at the bear. Because I mistakenly beamed this guy like right in between the eyes, and he looked right at me, no doubt. And he's like, He's like, really, scrawny dude? And then you're going to hit me in the face? And now he's getting mad. And we're like, oh. He's like, all right, well, we've hung our food. We're okay. And so just with a lot of condescen- condescension, we said, all right, bear, you go ahead. See if your puny little bear brain can figure out this elaborate trap we have. You go ahead. You try, you try it out. It took him like three seconds. Shimmied up the tree, one swipe of the paw, and he was gone with all of our food for the rest of the trip. (laughs) Completely underestimated the bear. And you know what? We suffered the consequences. But the point here is don't make the same mistake with Satan. Don't underestimate him. 1 Peter 5 says he he prowls around like a a roaring lion. He's like that bear. He is dangerous. You got to take time to understand what he's capable of. You got to take time to know what are the schemes of the devil that Paul's talking about here. Well, what are their schemes? What, is his, what are his schemes? What do we know? He's a deceiver. Satan's a deceiver. Second Corinthians 11 calls him an angel 
of light. He is deceptive. It might look legitimate. It might look attractive. But it's a trap. He's going to use false teachings that, you know what, sound mostly right. But it's going to distort the truth just a little bit. And it's out there. And you might hear it from a trusted friend. You might hear it on Christian radio. It might come to you sounding like good marriage advice or making sound financial sense. It might even sound like a scientific fact. Maybe it just keeps you in step with the culture. But it is false. It is not the truth because Satan is a deceiver. And that's why you always, always need to check everything back against the Word of God. God, I'm hearing this. Well, what does the Bible say about that? And that's why you always got to pray. God, I got this decision to make. I feel I should go this way, but is that the way you want me to go? Because your enemy is a deceiver, and his goal is to keep you from the truth. But he's not just a deceiver. He's also a tempter. Think about when Satan came to Jesus, Matthew 4. It even calls him, the tempter says, behold, the tempter has come. And he's going to tempt you with the supposed pleasures of sin. Things like beauty and wealth and reputation. But those are just desires that are going to take you away from God. He's also an accuser. In fact, that's what the word devil means. He's an accuser. Because when you do realize that you have sin, he's going to hit you with that. He's going to make you think that you're not even worthy of God anymore. You're going to attempt it to give up, tempted to quit fighting that sin. To be ready for this, you have got to know your enemy. You've got to know his capabilities. You've got to know his methods. You've got to know how he deceives and how he tempts. So you can be effective at fighting your enemy. This is a spiritual battle, no doubt. That's why it makes a lot of sense for you to have a spiritual ally. Satan's a strong enemy. You've got to have a strong spiritual ally alongside you. That's why you go back to the beginning of verse 10. Paul starts his whole discussion by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord. And I couldn't think of any better way to say it, so I'm going to steal the wording directly from Paul there. Point number two, you need to be strong in the Lord. That's the way to fight Satan. Not relying on your own strength, but by relying on God. You have got to be strong. This is a passive verb, be strong, highlighting that you get the source of strength from outside of yourself, from God. Brings to mind God's repeated calls to Joshua, going to the promised land. Be strong, be courageous. God is with you. Strength that comes from God. And there's a double emphasis, if there's any doubt. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We need to be strong in the strength of his might. Is there any doubt here that God is fully capable to provide all that we need in this battle? The same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power of God that defeated Satan and defeated sin and defeated death, it's available to you. But you've got to see your need. You got you to gotta man up and you got to ask for the help. Because face it, you know what? Sometimes it's difficult to ask for help. Sometimes in our pride, we think, we can do this on our own. I think, God, I can handle this. After we took the family to Zion National Park, we went over to Bryce Canyon National Park, and we went hiking. And whatever gene people have that, when you're walking, keeps you upright and keeps you from falling over, whatever that gene is, my son doesn't have it, my older one. He just, he falls down right and left all the time. 
He's like, I don't know, he's like a giraffe on roller skates. He's got legs going every, every which way. And to make matters worse, we didn't even bring hiking shoes. He's got these worn-out old Converse, on, Converse on, his, on his feet. And we're walking down this canyon, and there's this cliffs on either side. And my son's just falling down right and left. And he wants to go down on his own. I said, no, son, take my hand. You need to lean on me here. He's unaware of the danger. And we can be too sometimes. We got a strong enemy out there. The danger is real. We can't do it on our own. We've got to be strong in the Lord. But don't make the opposite mistake here. Don't see the enemy. Don't see the opposition. Don't see the trial in front of you and think, God, this is too much. God, I can't handle this. Don't make the opposite mistake and underestimate the all-powerful and mighty God who is sufficient to help you. You see, when we got down to the bottom of the canyon, now my son's looking at the trail back up. And he's looking at the cliffs on either side. And the trail is dark. And the trail is wet. And his shoes are slipping. And he's tired. And he says, Dad, I don't think I can do it. And I said, Son, take my hand. Lean on me here. You see, whether he was overconfident on the way down or too, defa- too defeated on the way back up, my, my advice to him either way was the same. Son, take my hand. Lean on me. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you got to do the same with God. you got to rely on him. you got to be strong in the Lord. Well, how, how practically can I do that? I'm glad you asked that question. Verse 11 goes to tell us we got to put on the whole armor of God. For you Greek lovers out there, the verb there is in the aorist tense. All that means is just an ongoing action. This is something that you need to be doing each and every day, relying on God, putting on his armor. We're strong in the Lord by putting on the armor that he gives us. And it's the whole armor. The battle is serious. We got to be fully protected. Well, what's his armor? Well, that is the topic for next week. Scott's going to be teaching on that, but you can just get a little sneak preview here. You just glance down at the verses and you can see he's talking about things like righteousness and faith and truth. We're talking about traits of God. You've got to put on the traits of God. Look down further, verses 18 to 20. You've got to be praying every day. God, help me be strong. Help me not to give in to spiritual attacks, seeking his will in every decision that you make. And if you do that, as verse 13 says, if you, if you take up the whole armor of God, you're going to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I mean, standing in an evil day, and let's face it, we're living in an evil day, and with each passing day, it's only growing worse and worse. You don't need to do anything more than just flip on the headlines, read the newspaper, and you'll see it. Living for God in this world, it's just getting harder and harder and harder. And the enemy seems to keep on making advances and keep on making advances and keep on winning battles. But the reminder here, and it's so important, is if we are strong in the Lord, if we take up the armor of God, we are going to be able to withstand those attacks. We are going to be able to stand firm. And the enemy is not going to be able to overcome us because we're standing not in our own strength, but in the strength of God. As you put on your outline, point number three, you can trust God for victory. Because there's victory there for you. Verse 13, the whole picture here is of a soldier. He's made every preparation for battle. He's ready to stand firm, and now he's trusting in God. You see, what's missing in this whole passage here is any sense of, of fear. Oh, there's urgency. You got an enemy prowling around like, out there. There's danger, but we don't need to be afraid. 
Christ has already won that victory for us. He has already stood firm against every sin and against every temptation. In the desert, Satan coming to him to tempt him, Christ stood firm. Peter telling him, you don't need to lay down your life, Christ. He says, get behind me, Satan, standing firm. He's beaten on a cross, standing firm. Jesus overcame and he rose from the grave. Yeah, sure, Satan is strong, but you know what? Christ, he is stronger. And with the power of Christ, you too can stand against the Satan's attacks. And having done everything else, you can stand firm. Christ is fully sufficient to help you do this. Let me close with this passage. Put it on the screen behind me. Because you can say with confidence, as Paul does to, to the Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you, and that's not common to man. You don't need to be worried about it. God's faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it and to overcome, and to have victory. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, whatever sin seems too enticing or too strong, whatever temptation seems too alluring, whatever trial seems too challenging, you got to know that victory is possible. Why? Because Christ already won that victory for you. But you've always got to be aware that, you know what, in this fight, you are in a spiritual battle. And it's a battle that is not going to stop until the day that Christ comes back. And so you've got to be prepared. As we talked about in point one, you've got to know your enemy. You've got to study his strategies. You've got to know his attacks so you can be ready. And then you need to be strong in the Lord, not trusting in yourself, but basing your decisions off his word and relying on him so that then you can trust God for victory because he will be able to help you overcome whatever spiritual attack that you'll face in this life. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this this great reminder that we are in a battle, we are in a fight, and we do need to be prepared. We thank you for the wisdom and the insight that you give us in your word to help us understand our enemy and help us to know our enemy. And we thank you for the strength that you give us to stand against him and to have victory because it's a victory that you've already accomplished yourself. So thank you for this wisdom, and I just pray we have a good time of discussion right now as we we talk with one another about how we can stand firm against these spiritual attacks in our lives, in the workplace, and particularly in our marriages. Just give us a good time of discussion, and thanks again for the privilege of worshiping you and hearing from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a good time of discussion.